welcome to our inaugural podcast in a nutshell. I am William Powell and I'm the Editor-in-Chief at Natural Gas World and I'm in London. With me in our Moscow office is Joe Murphy and joining us for the special deep dive into the UK power market, we are very happy to welcome James Brabham, who leads the wholesale power team for Cornwall Consulting. Hi, William. Hi, everybody been, on the line as well. It's it's been a very uh, yeah. Welcome, Joe. It's been it's been a very very difficult uh, few months for gas exporters globally. The U.S. Energy Information Administration is reporting a large drop in the amount of gas delivered for liquefaction over the last few weeks. It's reporting also there'll be cancellations and reductions in LNG exports from the US globally. And the reason for this, of course, is very clear. Very, very low demand, exacerbated first by the recession and then by the lockdowns, has come head to head with the launch of a lot more energy capacity in the US. It has now reached the point that if you liquefy gas from the US and ship it anywhere in the world on a cash basis, you're probably going to be losing money unless you've hedged your output in advance. So more LNG output from the US, possible cancellations or shutdowns over the summer, very, very low prices in the, uh, the Dutch title transfer, transfer facility, and very, very poor netbacks for producers. This, of course, includes Gazprom, which has been exporting less gas to Europe, not only than it expected, but even less gas than it has paid to have transited through Ukraine. This is a very, very big change in the, mar in the market for Gazprom compared with the last couple of years when it was exporting well over 200 billion meters a year. It is now expecting to be exporting somewhere around 160, 170, and it is exporting less than it has paid to through Ukraine. So this is a really big turnaround. In fact, it has reached the point too there where maybe domestic sales are more profitable for Gazprom than uh, exports to Europe. So much for the commercial side of things. But the politics have been pretty bad for, two, for Gazprom as well, haven't they, Joe? Perhaps you could talk us through the headwinds that Gazprom is facing on that front as well. Yes, of course. Um, so it's been quite a, a difficult month for uh, Gazprom, not just, as you mentioned, the... Um, uh, decline in uh, European sales. Uh, we don't know the extent uh, that the lockdown, the impact uh, that the lockdown has had on its sales because it hasn't been um, publishing monthly um, export uh, numbers. But uh, the big news for Gazprom this month was that uh, the EU general court uh, rejected its challenge um, against the uh, amendments to the EU gas directive, uh, which were introduced last year, um, which what that means is that its Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh, will be subject to EU rules on unbundling and uh, offering third year, uh, third, third party access. Um, this is obviously problematic for Gazprom, uh, considering Nord Stream 2 um it only run you know it, it runs straight from russia to germany it's hard to see how gazprom which is the only russian company allowed to use the pipeline can really get around this third party access rule um 
perhaps offering auctions uh, even though no domestic players can actually take part, which would be sort of complying technically with the rules, but not, not in the spirit of the, the law. Um, and also, the as for the unbundling, uh, it's not really clear how Gazprom is going to get around that either. Uh, perhaps it could divest it to uh, divest the pipeline, or at least partially, to uh, a German partner. Um, but essentially, Gazprom will have to get creative to to get around these obstacles. I suppose in its, in its favour is the fact that European gas prices are so low that it's not missing out on large profits at the moment. That might be a small crumb of comfort, but I agree no, it's not really a long-term strategy. I mean, what, what do you think of the possibilities of Gazprom auction capacity or unbundling? Might now be the time for the export monopoly to be brought to an end, do you think? I mean, it, 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 would that solve the problem, allow everyone to walk away with some face saved? Um, I mean, it might well help solve the problem, but whether Russia would actually take such a step is another matter. So the idea hmm. of um, of uh, getting rid of Gazprom's monopoly over pipeline exports has been discussed uh, for for years, or over yeah. a decade, yeah. And you've had intensive lobbying by Gazprom's domestic competitors, Novatech, Rosneft, which have their own, you know, big gas portfolios, which they're quite eager to to send send overseas. Um, but it's never really got anywhere. Uh, so um, reasoning behind keeping this uh, monopoly in place is that Russia doesn't want Russian gas competing with Russian gas uh, in Europe and driving down the price uh, even further. I mean, you know, given how low prices are now, I think uh, Russia is going to be even more reluctant to take such a step. Um, mm -hmm. The irony is that uh, there is some competition between Russian gas and Russian gas in Europe uh, because you've got uh, Novatek's LNG coming in to the market. Um, which in certain places has competed with um, Gazprom supplies. Um, but, yeah, they've been yeah. shipping gas, haven't they, in uh, Dunkirk and places like that, and there is the possibility of some gas commingling. And it's, yes, once the gas reaches Northwest Europe, basically it's a free-for-all, isn't it? You can't tell anymore who's buying, who's buying gas from whom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other issue for Gazprom, of course, is the actual physical construction, getting the construction of uh, Nord Stream 2 done. Um, so things were going relatively well in the first half of last year, uh, but then you had Denmark delaying the uh, permits to allow construction of a pipeline through its uh, waters. And then, of course, you had the US imposing sanctions on on the pipeline, which brought all the work to the halt. Um, so Gazprom's solution has been to, because it can't use any foreign pipe layers, its solution has to to be has been uh, to bring its own from the Russian Far East. So uh, this is, uh, I think, its only pipe laying vessel, and it left the Far East in February. It's gone across the world, and now it's um, in European waters. It's uh, docked, I think, at um, German port where Gazprom has been storing the Nord Stream 2 pipes. Um, but whether this vessel is actually suitable for the job, it's it's quite unclear. Um, 
I've heard that, uh, so the academic Chersky, uh, the vessel, um, its crane isn't big enough for the Nord Stream 2 pipelines, um, pipes. Uh, so um, I've heard that uh, Gazprom wants to attach it to another barge, which has a bigger uh, pipe laying vessel, but uh, pipe, pipe laying crane, sorry. Right. Um, but uh, whether this will work in practice, uh, whether it will require both vessels to be moored in, in place, but that might require another permit from Denmark, which is, you know, creating even more problems. Because the seabed being so lit littered with World War, World War II unexploded exactly, mines and so yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hence, hence the extra permit. Mm -hmm. Okay. And eastwards, is there anything happening with Gazprom's plans to ship gas to China? It's always talked about the pivot to the east, uh, particularly since the pivot to the west has proved so problematic. Do you see it making much yeah. progress in that, in that direction? Um, yeah, I mean, you would think at this time when Gazprom, like every other company, has had to cut spending um, because of its weaker sales, uh, you'd think it wouldn't be pushing ahead with anything big right now. But um, it started pre-investment studies on a second pipeline to China. Uh, so, of course, the power of Siberia, the first Russian pipeline to China, um, started up in December. And they're already talking about another one, uh, an even bigger one. So power of Siberia had 38 BCM per year capacity. This one's going to be 50 BCM. Um, how long? until this project actually makes any solid progress is another matter because uh the you know gas gas price negotiations been between china and russia have never never been straightforward uh china's known to be a uh a hard bargainer and yeah, it's been the, very good hasn't it yeah yeah and the um the contract the supply contract which um, underpins the power of Siberia pipeline took over a decade to negotiate. So whether it will take that much time uh, to to get a contract in place for another pipeline, I mean, it could be. Um, so, you know, it's not, it, it's, a, it's a long term venture and it, it might be a long time until we see any firm commitments in place. Well, we've always heard that gas is a long-term business, so who knows, maybe by the time Power of Siberia 2 is laid, then things will be back to what used to be considered normal, $8 MMBTU yeah. <laughs> and uh, plenty, of, plenty of demand for, from industry. Um, yeah. Who knows? I mean, Let's the long-term sorry, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Uh, long no, prospects okay. for the Chinese market are pretty strong. Uh, yes. But at the same time, China has so many other options, you know, extra LNG, extra Central Asian gas. Um, and this pipeline's running through the second one Russia is think, looking to develop, runs through Mongolia, which, um, I don't know, creates another issue with transit and stuff. Anyway. Sure enough. Well, James, we could bring you in now to talk about the UK, admittedly a very small corner of the globe, but uh, gas has always been a big part or has always been a big part of its power market. Uh, the famous dash for gas in the 90s, the giant Enron CCGT up in the north coast, uh, the northeast of England. Uh, but now, of course, giving way to renewables. Perhaps you can talk us through what is happening 
uh, in the UK power market and how gas is carving out a niche or not uh, in, in, this, in, in the supply mix. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Thanks, Will, for the introduction. So, um, yeah, as you say, I suppose historically, and I'm sure people will know the context, that, that gas has really uh, been one of the key growth areas for for the power market uh, as a provider of power and GB ever since it was basically legislated that you could burn gas for power in the 1990s, had the dash for gas. Um, then it was basically competing directly with coal. Um, and from about the middle of the last decade onwards, gas has effectively been the main source of power generation in, in GB. Um, at the same time, the UK continental shelf's been declining. So we've had more imports from other countries. And, and GB really is, I'm, I'm sure your listeners will be aware, is a bit of a hub really for, for international um, imports of, of gas. Um, gas was probably before what's been happening over the last few months was probably in a really, really strong position in, in GB um, for the next uh, kind of few years anyway, in the sense that uh, coal assets were coming off the system. Um, they've been legislated to come off from the mid 2020s. And actually they were coming off quicker than most people expected um, because it was uneconomic to run them. Um, gas demand for, for the heating side of things um, and gas usage was still pretty high. And obviously, even though renewables were, were growing, gas was basically the, the backup fuel and still running at, at baseload levels when it wasn't there. Um, so roughly speaking, you know, gas prices are around 30 to 40 pence per therm in GB and pretty low still, but, but um, stable levels. It was about 45% to 50% of the power mix as well. So about 150 terawatt hours a year is the equivalent in, in electricity terms of usage. Then we've had COVID-19 and, and it's all kind of changed really for, for the gas picture, which is, um, which is quite important really, I think, to, to stress. So just to give Can we see the slides? Can we see what the gas price is doing, Joe? Is that possible? Ah, uh, here we go. Yeah. So just to give some context for for GB, yeah, this is this is just our data on historic uh, day ahead gas price, which is the most volatile, as you can probably see with the pricing there. And we've got some interesting incidences of, uh, of different periods there, going back all the way to the start of our data in '97 uh, when the market opened. Um, what's really interesting, and I'll, I'll come on to to where we are in 2020, but basically since uh, we've had lockdown effectively in GB, yes. uh, demand for gas and demand for gas usage in power has dropped dramatically. So gas usage and demand overall obviously trends down in the summer anyway, but it's down about 15 to 20%. And the same in the power markets, we've seen about a 20% cut in power usage. Um, so all of that combined with, with what you were saying, Joe, before, and also some of the wider trends of American market with, with those oil prices going negative, the global picture too, has just driven down the price further and further. And we actually got to a sub 10 pence per therm price for gas in GB on the day ahead market at the end of April. And it hasn't really recovered that much from there since. It's the lowest we've kind of observed it since about 2006, 2007, as you can see there. Um, and these are numbers and money of the day as well. So there's an impact there, but effectively super low prices, you know, that we haven't seen for 15 years. Um, and this has brought this is this has helped shoehorn gas back into the market again. I take it. Well, it's it's an interesting one because although gas is now cheaper, and uh, the I suppose what you can see is the kind of profit you can make the spread from turning gas into power is still there, and it hasn't changed markedly because the gas price has fallen as much as the power price almost. Uh, the problem is there isn't the demand there in the power sector, so. We've got a really interesting power market at the moment in GB, which you can basically describe as nuclear, renewables, gas, 
and they almost go in that order of how they run. Nuclear is always running. Um, it's yes. very expensive to stop, so it rarely wants to stop, and its its business case is effectively running all the time. Uh, renewables. Well, well, they, so, so, sorry to butt in. Didn't didn't uh, National yeah. Grid pay EDF to turn off a plant? Over yeah, the so it, it, exactly. It's got to the point now where um, renewables are running all the time as well. Gas is running. Lots of the gas is being turned off, actually, because the demand isn't there. They're the most expensive out of those three forms of generation to run because of the right. fuel cost. Right. Mm -hmm. um, most of those gas units are being turned off. It's got so low, the demand that actually, as you said, National Grid had to make a deal with Sizewell, uh, Sizewell B, to turn off half of their output over May and June. And actually this week or last bank holiday weekend, um, National Grid then instructed further the renewables assets to turn off, which... That must be the first, first time it's happened, yes? Yeah, for some of the big units, it's common. So big offshore wind uh -huh. and onshore is common. But for the smaller assets, which is a big part of the UK, solar, small scale wind, uh, they've never had to do these things before. And National Grid procured, it's about two gigawatt, which is roughly at, at the moment around about 10% of the generation mix. Um, over the weekend to effectively say stop and they, they obviously bidded in their own prices to do it um, so totally mm -hmm. and, and unfortunately for gas it's it's at the top of that pile really so if national grid is turning off nuclear and, and renewables it's already done what it can for gas because gas is uh is the most expensive right thing in a sense so it's a weird time for gas because longer term or term people know the market's still there demand should pick up renewables are coming on but there'll still be a gap and when they're not running gas will be needed but what's happening for the gas power stations is they're having to find kind of new business models because it used to be really buy the gas in at a certain hedge put it through the power station get a hedge the other side fix your income and have some fees maybe we can have the next slide now for the power prices yeah, we've got the power. The difficulty now for them is, as you can see, they're similar to gas. The power market on its own is just not doing enough to support gas-fired power stations yeah. in Germany, and it's similar across Europe. Um, even worse in Germany, where it's kind of almost gone off the system. There, um, they're having to there's, find there's, other money. No, sorry to butt in. There's something story today about how uh, Uniper's brought back Ersching four and five, its super-efficient power plants, which it. Yeah. Uh, Built some years ago and it had to freeze basically because the remuneration just wasn't there. And it was one of those examples of you know uh, politics trumping the market. They, they built these plants in good faith, and then suddenly the rules change, and then they have to leave these plants idle. But now with gas prices being so low, yes, it's a uh, it's a sort of a, 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 a beneficiary, if you like. In, in, sorry, keep going. There's exactly. A, a no, no, it's, it's exactly right. And it's, it's the same across Europe. And, and what these gas generators having to do in GB and in Europe is they can't just look at the power market and the gas market kind of in isolation. So what's the spread? What's the long term view with carbon and other things, obviously, as well. But really now it's can I earn extra money from supporting the grid? So sitting there idle or sitting there in reserve or sitting there running half half baked, as it were because actually that's better for the grid than me running all of the time. And at yeah. the moment, the markets are quite new. Um, in, in GB in Europe, they're not very well developed. They're not long-term. So for some of the gas, they're kind of, as you say, kind of sticking with it, probably not earning much money, but trying to come back in. And others actually are looking to close or, or actually change their, um, change their technology almost. So some of the traditional models we saw in GB, we know CCGT as it's called, combined cycle gas turbines, very efficient, they run yes. very well load 
Um, some of those are actually even looking at changing themselves to be OCGT, open cycle gas turbines, which is... And they're, and they're about 30% efficient or 35? Yeah, much less efficient. Yeah, much less efficient, but very, very good at peak. So instead of running all yeah. the time, it's maybe realised, actually, we're going to have to be different in the future. We're going to have to be there when the wind's not blowing or the sun isn't shining. Yes. We'll earn our money, a lot of money, probably, with, with the peak price, but over a very, very short period of time. So it's a total change. And... This was coming anyway. I think most people thought that would what this is what would happen to gas in the power mix in, in GB in Europe in you know maybe 2025, 2030. Basically, what's it's happened? Been, it's been brought forward by the uh, exactly some yeah. Renew, yeah, renewables are suddenly a much bigger part of the mix because demand's gone down. So you've kind of got a 2025, 2030 market uh, mm. for this period of time now, and gas is having to react to that a lot quicker than it thought. The, the uh, lack of what we call conventional, you know, um, big plant like gas and CCGTs, they contributed inertia, didn't they, to the grid, which in turn made the grid more stable. Have you, or is there much concern that we, we might have more power cuts such as we had last year because of that? Yeah, so it, it's difficult to say really because uh, we've done some some analysis ourselves on inertia and it's it's pretty clear that inertia level, so that's basically the resistance to change of frequency on the grid, the inertia right. level, the amount of resistance is falling quite significantly, basically as coal and gas are coming off. So there is a risk. Um, however, there's a lot of money being spent by National Grid to try and correct that and try and make sure people are there to support it. So... As I said before, what's happening with gas is they're having to try and find ways, or gas-fired plant, trying to find ways of getting into those markets because they know they've got a value. Yes. Um, but in GB as well as Europe, it's not really being valued at the moment in monetary terms. Um, things like inertia, as you said, things like sitting in reserves, providing um, support like this is, is not really a well-developed market. Um, and obviously, as you can imagine, with a gas plant, they probably want 5, 10, 15-year contracts um, yes. to do service to make sure they can build and run their plants. So that, that market's starting to pick up now um, as they develop um, as well. So it's it's there for them. They are really important, but they they're kind of being underutilized in a way or uh, undervalued in, in those in those services they can provide. And that market is starting to get um, pushed along really by the fact that we've got this new world of high renewables, low demand. It does seem like we, we need to have a new set of rules as well, which everyone can sign up to in advance, because I think a lot of money has been spent in good faith by companies investing in CCG, CCGTs in particular, unaware that the entire business model was going to change in, well, long before their uh, gas contracts expired, leaving everybody yeah. sort of exposed. Do we, need, do we need the next slide now, do you think, or...? Is that possible? Yeah, what have we got? We've got, we've, I've probably talked about, is there another slide after that? I know we had one on the share of the mix, didn't we, um, as well, which might be good. Yeah, so that shows there, I just point out that coal is, is, has, been, has been zero pretty much the last few months, or the last month anyway. Yeah. So of course, as I like to point out pedantically, we do import some power from the continent through interconnectors, and that will have a certain amount of coal in the mix, but that's uh, just to be pedantic, really. <laughs> Yes, here we go. So, yeah, just talking about um, the gas usage. So this is just a period of time. Hopefully you can see it on here. We're part, kind of stacking up the GB generation mix. Um, quite unique GB. I mean, France looks very different to this, but actually markets like Holland, Belgium uh, are very similar in their makeup. Uh, Germany, too. Without yeah. the, so 
But the, the big one for everybody on the line to look at is the blue bar, which is effectively the CCGTs, which is... Which is That's a huge amount, isn't it, really? It's far than I was expecting it to be. I yeah. thought it'd be much more marginal than that. Yeah, and that's still coming down. I mean, this is a daily view, so obviously there's changes within day of the, of the usage, but it's really coming down. Um, but yeah, it is a difficult time, as you say, well, for, for gas generators. I think really what we've seen in GB actually in the last three or four years is not that much new gas plant being built. Um, and that's because of those market changes. People are wary of government changes to renewable schemes and, and all other things equal renewables run at zero marginal cost. They're cheap. They, they are going to be cheaper than than, than fueled plants. Um, there's other market mechanisms to try and encourage gas, something called the capacity market in GB, which other European markets have too. And really the prices haven't been high enough um, to incentivize right. a big new build gas plant. The one saving grace perhaps for them, and I know a lot of the Norwegian market uh, participants are looking at this as well, is potentially to build new CCGT with, with the premise of carbon capture. And and that's one that could be could be a saviour here because on their own CCGTs now running uh, are pretty uh, efficient when you compare them to coal. Um, mm -hmm. The carbon intensity of the grid, which the government is obviously really pushing towards a zero level, is is improving. Yeah. Um, but at some point in time, there'll have to be a decision like there was with coal of how does gas fit into this. So that's something that people are looking at as a as an option as well to say we can still use this gas, turn it into turn it into power and capture the carbon and, and people are looking at doing that. But again um, with the sorry but support. yeah go for it. But again with the much higher implicit cost of uh, CCS attachment with a power plant, we're looking less at the market where everyone can join in and, and more at a almost like a state run system where everything's much more centralized and subsidies and, and, and fees and tariffs are allocated according to an overall policy rather than to shareholders' profit and losses. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say it's too complicated because that's why we've got a job in consultancy, but it, it, the, the power market is um, is becoming incredibly complicated because it's not as simple as fuel inputs, adding those up. Yeah, 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 power yeah. prices to be, we've got levers all over the place that are manipulating this price. So as you, we were talking about this before, I think, well, we've actually seen electricity prices go negative. Yes, and, although I, I never quite understood who made money out of that because I never saw yeah. a discount on my bill. <laughs> it, it won't happen. Unfortunately, unless you've got a very savvy bill, it, it's only a part of the bill, so it won't impact too much. Yeah. Or maybe you're charging an electric car, but most markets where it goes negative, things stop. And electricity, that yes. doesn't happen because generators will still run because they're provided with subsidy. Um, yeah. And that's mainly solar and wind. So we've got those levers have an impact. You've got this capacity market, which means some people run cheaper because they're getting money from elsewhere. Um, nuclear, as we mentioned, is getting other support. So there's all these things that make the, the price strange, as you say. And, and actually, as you know, gas is probably still trying to compete on the basis of a, a spread. I've got my fuel cost, I've hedged that through, I've built my power station, I've got my running costs, and I hedge that into the power market. So it's it's a really complicated space right now. And, and, and to be honest, most people are saying, probably for the benefit of most, to be honest, that it's ripe for some sort of reform or change to make it make sure it works for what the government wants, which is which is a net zero uh, system. So, so are those changes be pushed through by base or by off gem or I mean, how will these things be engineered? Who do we go to? All of them, really. I mean, Bayes' yeah. uh, position at the moment and off gem and national grids is obviously manage COVID. That's all they're doing at the moment. Yes, which is yes, yes, yes. Understandable. 
um, and that's their focus. I think the key thing is um, energy is going to be high up the agenda for the some sort of economic stimulus package after the other side of this. Mm. And the government has been due to launch an energy white paper, which covers gas, nuclear and electricity, heating too, um, for about nine months, um, for a long time. And it's been delayed and delayed and, and delayed again with COVID-19. So that will reset the pathway for where we're going to go. And a lot of it is, is probably known already, which at the moment, government's view is, I suppose it can be summarised quite quite neatly in three technologies, offshore wind, nuclear and CCUS. That's the key things they've really announced over the last year that would feed into that. And I suppose gas may sit under that CCUS banner. Um, but we're still... Well, yeah, so, no, yeah, there have been a couple of big moves forward in CCUS, haven't there? First of all, well, not first of all, but last week, Northern Lights got the got the go ahead from Shell, Total, uh, Equinor, and the government, which will be a large industrial emissions only, I think, uh, project, yes. third party storage. But there's Acorn in the UK, Pale Blue Dot, trying to put back put uh, CO2 back under ground into the Golden Eye field. Um, still waiting, I think, again for news on that whether whether that billion dollar whether that billion pounds worth of budget promise will flow through now that we're all, as you say, concerned about mitigating the effects of COVID and, uh, you know, the social costs that that has uh, brought in its wake. Well, that seemed like a very good point at which to, at which to sort of draw this to a close. Um, as yeah. I said, if you have any questions, uh, you can submit them uh, afterwards or now. Um, we will endeavour to answer them. I can't speak for James, but uh, between us, we will. Um, and it's been a, a great pleasure to talk to you, James, and for your illuminating comments on the uh, UK power market. So I'd like to thank you very much uh, for, for, your, for your presence and, and your uh, contribution. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers.